This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Good morning, Journey. No, I'm not Joe. Joe's away today. I'm Woody, volunteer here at Journey. Great to see you. Great to be with you. And especially today, encouraged to talk about our subject and especially to go on in our our series on the book of Philippians. Joe uh, was telling me that he was up in the park talking to a group of people and they were talking about heaven, which happens to be our subject for today as well. A little bit about heaven anyway, about being citizens of heaven. Joe was talking with this group of people and evidently this, this man heard them talking and he walked up to the group and Joe turned to him And he asked him, do you want to go to heaven? And the man looked at him and said, no. And this shocked Joe. Joe just said, really? And so he asked the man, you mean you don't want to go to heaven when you die? Oh, when I die. I thought you were getting a trip out to go now. (laughs) Well, heaven is a special place for us, isn't it? But hopefully we have a life that we want to live for a while first. And part of that life means filling out a card. <laughs> if you're here today and you want to take a card that's in front of you, we'd like to get your information, just uh, a little bit of anything you want to put on here, a prayer request or a question, anything, just to have a little bit of information about who you are and about your family. We'd like to get one of those from every family. And then when the offering baskets come at the end of the service, or there's also receptacles in the back that you can place those cards. Good to see you today, good to be with you always, no matter if it's raining or not, right? Thunderstorm's coming today, but anyway, we'll talk about uh, this book of Philippians that Paul has written to you, to all of us. Maybe you've heard the phrase, and supposedly Oliver Wendell Holmes was the first to actually say it, who knows, it's been attributed to him anyway, but he said this, some people are so heavenly-minded that they are no earthly good. You ever heard that? Obviously old, if it was spoken by Oliver Wendell Holmes. Been around a while. Today, really the whole basis of my message is to say, that really can't be true. And I understand what he's trying to say. There is a point that he's making there. But it really can't be true. Because if we are truly heavenly minded, then we are going to put our heart and soul into this world, into people around us, into everything that will try to transform this world. There there are are dozens of books. There's been some movies out recently talking about heaven, Uh, one called Proof of Heaven, another one. Heaven is for real. Uh, Back in 1975, there was a book written called Life After Life. And it was basically interviews of people who were clinically dead, but then were uh, resuscitated in some way. They were on an operating table and literally died. And, you know, these are the things where you you hear about that they, they saw their soul or their whatever floating above their body. They looked down, they saw the doctors trying to resuscitate them, things like that. Uh, it, those things are fascinating to us, aren't they? We have this 
desire to know what happens after we die. And then especially, where are we going to go? What's heaven like? And I think there's two reasons for that. One is simply there is this natural uh, wonder, this natural curiosity that we have uh, facing all the things that we could call this, the great beyond, or maybe like some of the songs, in the sweet by and by, or when we all get to heaven, what's it going to be like? There's a natural curiosity. But I wonder too, I think there's something else for us. It's that we look around us and we see this world and we can be so discouraged and so set back, just so put off. There's got to be something more. And it's almost like we have such a despair because of the problems that are around us, because of the way the world treats us, that we look for something better. But today I want to say that if we are truly heavenly-minded, then we are going to put all of our heart and soul into working in this world in order to make it what God wants us to be. See, I think we have the wrong focus a lot of times. That we, and that's what really Oliver Wendell Holmes was trying to say, that we're focused on what's going to happen afterward, that we kind of maybe neglect the things that are happening now and the people around us and the things that really are working in this world. And God is at work in this world. That's the whole point. God is at work to bring restoration to this world, to bring redemption to this world, to us, and even the very aspects of creation. Today we're talking about the book of Philippians, which the Apostle Paul wrote. He also wrote the book of Romans. And in that book, he talks about creation groaning, creation waiting for the redemption of God. Romans chapter 8. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subject to futility in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. We wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. It's not just us personally, and I think maybe it's, it's the way that we often talk about this, especially at funerals. We go to a funeral and say, well, yeah, that's the dead body is lying there, but his soul's in heaven. And you know, just like this passage just said, God is going to actually redeem our physical bodies. Our physical, earthly flesh and blood will be transformed just like Jesus' body was. These bodies, this world around us. And so Paul is talking about that, saying creation is groaning. Creation is burdened by the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. That's what started it all. That created some kind of a, of a messed up world. The very molecules of the world were changed somehow. But Jesus is coming back to restore those. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And that is what we are working for now. That is what we are hoping for. And as a church, that's what we need to be about. We see that in the book of Revelation in a very should be a very famous passage, very familiar passage. 
if it's not because it's in the Bible, it's because it's in something else. And here it is in Revelation chapter 11. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. And he shall rule forever and ever. And then you would say, hallelujah. That's the hallelujah chorus. That's the actual words, the hallelujah chorus. So if you haven't read that in Revelation, I'm, you've got to have heard it in the hallelujah chorus sometime, right? <laughs> Paul in Philippians then goes on to talk about it in these terms. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he says that not just for people who are going to heaven, but for everybody who has ever lived. Because they will see Jesus when he returns. There will be something that they recognize. There will be this transformation that takes place in us, in our world, in everything. The question that we really need to address is how do we get there and what do we do in the meantime while we're waiting for this to take place? While we're waiting for Jesus to return, what really happens? And I think Paul is addressing that with the book of Philippians, especially in the part that we're going to read today. He's talking about that in particular because he he calls us citizens of heaven. And it's that word citizens that I really want to focus on today, a very important term. Let's take a little bit of a review to see where we've been. And I've kind of reorganized this from what we've talked about for, what's it been, uh, nearly eight weeks now, I think, that we've been talking about the book of Philippians. To look at uh, the commands that Paul has given to the Philippians. The, the way that he addresses them, and he, he talks a lot about the situation that he's been in, the things that they have done for him, but then all of a sudden he, he talks about, especially in three main passages, the commands that he gives them. This is what I want you to do because of all of this. The first one we really find in chapter 1, uh, verse 27, live as worthy citizens of the gospel. And the word citizens is, uh, you won't find that in any English version, but it's the same word, it's it's the verbal form, actually, of the word that we're going to find today that we'll use in chapter 3, where Paul actually does say, you are citizens of heaven. Well, he uses the same word, it's just a verb, and we can't really bring that verb into English in the same way. I don't know how to do that. How do you take the word citizen and make it a verb? You are citizenizing or something. I don't know. But anyway, that's what it is. He's talking about you are citizens. And that's very important to the Philippians. And he goes on then to talk about the example of Christ. How do you become worthy of the gospel? It's by following the example that Jesus set for us, how he emptied himself. And all through chapter 2, we've seen that. Secondly, then, Paul then goes on to say, therefore, because of all that Jesus has done for us, because of his example, work out your own salvation. And then Paul goes on to talk about, you are children of God. You are shining like stars in the universe. And so, he says, the part that we get to today, follow the example that I lived out before you. Follow my example And then finally, what we'll get to next week is the number three, stand firm in the Lord. Focus your life, 
concentrate. I debated on whether or not to say this. Corny joke. I've already given you one corny joke. Here's another one. Uh, maybe, I think it was Laurel and Hardy might have been the first to do it. I know Lucille Ball did it also. Take a can of orange juice and it says concentrate on it, you know. And so they'll look at it, stare at it. So what are you doing? It says concentrate. Well, next week we'll talk about some of those things that we as Christians need to concentrate on. That we focus on. And that's really what Paul is saying. That there are some things that we need to keep doing and to focus our attention on. Above all, all through this book, you see the the constant uh, call that Paul has. Rejoice. Live in joy. Find the joy of the Lord. Always. Well, today we're looking really in particular at the second half of that number two, where we're imitating Paul. And Paul focuses that statement in the word citizens, that they are citizens. And so he says in chapter 3, verse 20, the main verse really I want to talk about today. But our citizenship is in heaven from where we are also anticipating a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as Paul writes to the Philippians, citizenship was a very important thing to the the Philippians as well as to Paul. Paul was a Roman citizen. Philippi is actually a city that is a Roman colony. It's outside of Rome. It's actually... The uh, Google told me it's 741 miles from Rome. And here's a map to let you see a little bit about that. Philippi is actually in Macedonia, what we today and back then was called Macedonia. It was named after Philip of Macedon, who obviously you know is Alexander the Great's father, right? You knew that. He founded the city, but it became a Roman colony because of something that happened. And I'm fascinated by this whole story, and it's something that... We get it in history, but we also get it in Shakespeare, and it connects to the Bible. And that, that's, to me, it's just, it's astounding how actually something that I started learning probably in fourth or fifth grade said, wow, that's the history behind all of that? Julius Caesar was killed, and you know who killed him. I mean, the Roman Senate all got together. But in particular, you know the guy's name? Brutus. And probably the, most, the, the reason you know that's from Shakespeare's play, Et tu Brute. Brutus and Cassius were two of the leaders of this that actually killed Julius Caesar. And it started this civil war within Rome. And Brutus and Cassius had their legions on their side. And on the other side was Octavius, who was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. And his supposed friend, Mark Anthony. And I say supposed friend because later on they fight each other too. Uh, But here you have this side right now, Brutus and Cassius with their armies, Octavius and uh, Mark Anthony with their armies, and they fight each other really all over the world, all over the globe here. Until it finally comes down to one crucial battle outside what was then a very small, insignificant city called Philippi. And the forces of Antony and Octavius defeat the forces of Brutus and Cassius. And the war is over, the empire is at peace, Octavius eventually becomes the emperor, Augustus, and so on. But what they do at that time is they have all these soldiers now that they don't need. The battle's over. 
And you really don't want to keep them around because you're afraid of what they might do. So one thing that that they did at that time was they just retired them. Okay, everybody, we'll give you a piece of land. We will uh, establish this area as a Roman colony. You will become citizens of Rome living in Philippi, but you have all the rights and responsibilities of a full citizen of Rome. So here you have Philippi, a city that is... (laughs) 741 miles from Rome, in a completely foreign land, actually every, all the other cities like Athens and Corinth, none of them were Roman citizens. None of them had this status. Philippi became the administrative center of the area, and it had this very special privilege. They were citizens. They spoke Latin. They, anything that came from Rome came to Philippi. It was the most important city in the area. So now we're 100 years later, past Augustus and uh, Mark Anthony, and in comes Paul. Paul is actually in what we would call Turkey now, Asia Minor, and he has a dream one night. He sees a man, a Macedonian, in his dream, and the man is saying to us, come to us, come to us and help us. And Paul knows that this vision is from God. He crosses the sea, and he goes to the city of Philippi. He could have gone to other cities, but he went to the city of Philippi. And I think the main reason there is because he wanted these citizens of Rome, this very important city. He wanted to convert this city. He wanted to plant a church here in this place because he knew it would make the most impact. And we've been talking about some of the background here. We, we read some of it in Acts chapter 16 especially. Paul goes to the city. There is a small group of Jews there, uh, not large enough really to have their own synagogue, but they meet out outside of the city, and Paul meets with them. They hear the message. They rejoice. Paul starts this church. But of course, being Paul, like always, he gets into trouble with the leaders of the city. They don't like what they hear, and actually he disrupts some of their uh, pagan worship some of their um, funny business (laughs) that they used to do back then. Paul preached against that. And so they take Paul and his companion Silas and throw them into jail. They have them beaten, put them in a cell. But in the middle of the night, midnight, they start to sing. And God sends an earthquake that rattles the jail, throws open the bars. And Paul and Silas could have left. They could have gotten free, but they didn't go anywhere. Where where are you going to go? They don't want to go anywhere. The jailer comes in and finds them. Anyway, the next morning, the city officials set the decree, okay, set them free, push them out of town, make them leave. But Paul says, no, we are Roman citizens. You have unlawfully imprisoned us. You have unlawfully beaten us. He uses his Roman citizen to prove citizenship, to prove to them that they need a different way in their life. The leaders of the city themselves, they come down and they beg Paul's forgiveness because they know if he wants to report them to the Roman officials, that they would be disciplined because they had done something illegal. Citizenship 
was this vital part of what it meant to be a citizen of Philippi. To live in Philippi, to grow up in Philippi. And for Paul himself, he he grew up in Tarsus, the same kind of a city there. It was a very important thing, this citizenship. It was this little colony that represented Rome. So in their day, they would probably talk to one another, have you ever been to Rome? Wouldn't it be great to go to Rome? Can you imagine what it would be like to see all the sights in Rome? And Paul is using that idea of citizenship to talk about heaven. Yeah, it's the same way. We do the same thing, don't we? Oh, wouldn't it be great to to go to heaven? Can you imagine what heaven's going to be like? There is so much. There is it's, it's something so amazing that we can't even imagine what it's going to be. Because we are citizens of heaven. And that's what Paul now says to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, follow my example. I have set this example for you. Follow my example because we are all citizens together of what God has done. And he starts off really in verse 17. And he says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and pay attention to those who walk in our footsteps. Now we're going to come back to that, especially those who walk in our footsteps part. But for now, look at that part and understand that Paul is saying, look at my life and imitate me. And he could do that. He wasn't trying to be obnoxious or boastful. But he gave his life as an example to say, this is what God really expects of us. Now, before this, all through chapter 3, Paul had been talking about his history. Paul had given us, he had laid it out line by line, what his life had meant. In fact, the thing would be, if you're to go to some place and you're going to hear this great speaker and uh, you probably have a banquet first, and then somebody stands up to introduce the speaker. Imagine if somebody is introducing Paul. They're going to give this long list of qualifications. See, this man is really something. Oh, he, he, he studied with the best teacher in Judaism, Gamaliel. He knows the law. He has done all of these things. He is a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And they could go on and on and on. And that's what Paul has given us in chapter 3. He's given us this long list of qualifications. But then, well, let me, one thing he did say. He uses a word in chapter 3, verse 6. He uses the word blameless. He says, according to the law, I was blameless. And again, he's not being boastful. What he's really doing there is showing you what a Pharisee was expected to do. A Pharisee tried to live his life with zeal for the law, to be blameless. And sometimes we miss words like that because they're, they're, they're common words that we might hear in many different kinds of circumstances. But for Paul, that word was vital. And it was vital because of something that God said to Abram. Before God changed his name to Abraham... Uh, Abram talked with God, and uh, God met him one day. This is Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, 
Yahweh appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai, walk before me and be blameless. That's what Pharisees tried to live out every day of their life. And Paul said, I I had achieved that. According to the law, he was blameless. He was devoted completely to God. But then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he found out that everything that he thought he was doing for God was empty. It was meaningless. It was nothing. And that's what he says to us then in Philippians 3, 7. But whatever I consider gain, I have come to regard as loss for the sake of Christ. All that long list of achievements, all that effort that he had spent to be so perfect according to the law, blameless under the law, And he says, I realize that it's empty. It's nothing. And that's what he's saying to the Philippians. All those things that you used to think were worthwhile and honorable and anything that was credited to your account, all the achievements of your life, they really amount to nothing. So when he says, follow his example, that's what he's saying is, look back and all those things that you thought were were something important, Because they're really not in God's eyes. It doesn't matter if you're a citizen of Rome. What matters is to be a citizen of heaven. And so as Paul goes on down in chapter 3, verses 12, 13, and 14, says, forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting all that stuff and reaching out for the reason that God has taken hold of me. I press on. Now, sometimes we like to use that verse to say, I want to forget all the bad things in my past. (laughs) I want to put all those away. That's not the way Paul meant it. Paul was talking about all those things that he had achieved in his life. All of those things that we would say, oh, Paul is such a great guy. Wow, what a wonderful person he is. He said, those are the things that I'm putting away. Those are not meaningful anymore. What's meaningful is what Christ is doing in my life. So, now to emphasize that, he goes on and talks about the people who are not following Christ in verses 18 and 19 of chapter 3. Remember, chapter uh, 3, verse 17, Paul says, follow my example, look to those who are following in our footsteps, and then he follows that with verses 18 and 19. As I often told you, and now I tell you also crying, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is ruin. Their God is their desires. Their glory is in their shame. These are the ones whose minds are controlled by earthly things. Now, we could read those and imagine that Paul's talking about everybody else in the world. But he's really not. He's specifically talking about people who claim to be living for God but who are not. They're still caught up in the worldly system of trying to to seek acclamation for themselves. They're still trying to prove who they are. Maybe they're what we would call 
Judaizers, people who are saying, okay, it's fine that Jesus is the Messiah, but you still have to be circumcised. And Joe talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Yes, it's Jesus, but then you have to add this. And of course, if you add this, then you've got to add that and this and something else all the way down. There's more to it than that. And Paul says, no, do away with all that kind of legalism. That's on one side. There's a complete opposite side that Paul is also talking about here. Because there were also people who were looking at Paul and saying, Look, listen to your message, Paul. You are saying that everything goes, that it doesn't matter how you live, that you can do absolutely anything, any, anything, anything. And we call these antinomians, those who are against the law. And Paul's saying, that's not at all what I'm saying. It's not about, about being completely free. It's not free love. It's not doing anything you want to do. It's about following Jesus. It's about being citizens of heaven. It's about acting in our life to bring heaven to earth. It's about change. That's what Paul was saying. It's that when you meet Jesus, there needs to be a change in your life. It's a change in focus. It's a change in pursuits. I want to give you a personal story um, because to me, at least to me, it is the most meaningful. I look at my father. He became a Christian when I was about uh, 13 or so, and at that time, I wasn't paying much attention. You know what 13-year-old is. <laughs> uh, but as a couple of years went by, and I actually, as, as I heard my dad's brothers and sisters talk about the change in his life. I'm really amazed to see the difference that, of the, the man that he became. Now, he was working in a factory, in a steel mill, in that little town up there. And he'd been there 15 years, probably, something like that. Yeah, about that. And uh, so what should he do? Maybe he should quit his job and become a preacher. No. It's not what God wanted. He stayed there for another 20 years. Doing his job. Working that overtime. (laughs) Day after day, going to a steel mill. But you see, now he's a witness for Jesus. Now there's something different in his life. And there was a certain incident that took place uh, um, where there were some guys that ganged up on him, actually. And that's when his brothers and sisters made some comments of saying, wow, if that had been a couple years ago, he'd have acted very differently. That, that, he's changed. There's something different about him. That's the witness that God wants us to be. My dad liked to play golf, and he played up until his knees wouldn't <laughs> hold up anymore. Um, and there's nothing wrong with playing golf, is there? But now he's a witness, so what's, what should he do? Maybe take somebody with him. And while you're out there on the golf course, talk about Jesus. Talk about your life. My dad loved to hunt and fish. Nothing wrong with hunting and fishing. But he had a friend, and they, the two of them would often go together, first of all, but they would invite other people to go with them. And they would pick people that they knew, other men that they knew, 
in particular needed something in their life. They needed some help. And they, they're not going to go browbeat them. They're not going to open their Bible and, and shout at them. But they just talk about the things in their world and how Jesus makes a difference in their life. Just to be a witness. Because now they are citizens of heaven. Now there is a difference in their life. And that difference might not show up in their job. It might not show up in the things that they do. But it shows up in the way that they act and how they live and what they say and what they do. There is a real change that takes place. A change that makes us citizens of heaven. As Paul goes on down through this passage, he talks about that change. The change that we begin to take now, but also the change that will take place eventually for all of us, for all of our world. And in chapter 3, verse 21, he says, and I've kind of added a, I made up a word here. (laughs) He will transchematize the body of our humiliation to conform to the body of his glory by the energizing of his power and so subject all things to himself. Paul's talking about what Christ will do when he returns. He will come back to us. He will restore this world. He will bring redemption. Everything around us will be made new. Now, a little bit of a sidelight. Maybe you'll find this interesting. I did, and, uh, and I, I hope it, it matters. When we're looking at the book, and when we're studying the book of Philippians, it's easy to recognize that in chapter 2, we have something that we call a hymn. Uh, and it's called a hymn in order to point out, first of all, that it's, it's poetic in nature. The writing is a poetic style. Uh, it's a little different from the rest of the, of the uh, writing that Paul has done. And in fact, we call it a hymn because it, it's something that is separate from the letter itself. And so in chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, we have the hymn of Christ. And especially we call it kenosis. That's actually the Greek word that Christ emptied himself. It's, it's the hymn. Uh, and it was called a hymn too because they sang it in church. They would gather together on Sunday morning and they would sing this or at least chant this hymn in some way. They would um, repeat the words. This is an a, a exact replication. We know that they, they did this. This is one thing that they did in worship. Well, here in chapter 3, at the end of the chapter, verses 20 to 21, Paul has, as I think Paul has written this, as another hymn, but for this one, it seems for sure that Paul wrote this one to match the first one. And actually, Paul might have written the first one too. I mean, he founded all these churches. He's setting up all the structures in the church, so he's helping them to know what to do in worship. He very likely wrote the hymn in chapter 2. But the hymn here in chapter 3 so closely matches it that it seems like this is on purpose, that I, it seems like Paul did this. And so here's a little chart that just kind of compares these things line by line, word by word, and he's talking about our citizenship now. What Christ has done for us is in chapter 2, but now in chapter 3, about our citizenship, that we are a colony, a colony of heaven, and we are here on earth so that we can live out in the same way that Jesus did, 
to live out the presence of God in this place. And so we have the same form. There is the uh, existing that Jesus is. He was in heaven, now is on earth. Um, That we are transformed in the likeness, that we have a humble state and so on. I just want to show you, and hopefully one thing to do today would be to go back home and look at these two passages and see what Paul is trying to do here. He's matching this together to show that just the way that Jesus lived is now the way that he's calling us to live. We are citizens of heaven. And that doesn't mean that all we do is focus on the great by and by, the glory that will come later. The Bible really never talks about that. That's not our focus. And I think that when we look around the world, it's just like we get so discouraged, so disheartened, maybe even despair. Because how can we really make a difference? Can we really cause anything to happen here? Can we really change anything? This world is messed up. Can I do anything to really help? Maybe you've heard the star story, starfish story. Uh, It was written, I think, in the 60s by a lady. uh, And it's become something very commonly passed around. You can look it up on the internet if you like. Google it today. There has been a Christian organization started called the Star Throwers, and they base it upon this story that was written. And basically, the story, a very short little story, about a man who uh, is an author, and he goes to the beach to write. And he's sitting on the beach because it's it's a calming, (laughs) uh, inspirational setting. And that day, in particular, he noticed that there were starfish that had been washed up on the beach. Hundreds of starfish. Thousands of starfish. Something that's really hard to imagine even. And as he's sitting there, he sees a boy coming towards him, walking along the beach, and the boy, one by one, is picking up starfish and throwing them back in the ocean. And the man sees this, and it's just astounding to him. And when the boy gets close enough, he says, Son, let me ask you a question. What are you doing? And the boy very calmly says, Well, the, the beach, or the, the ocean has washed, the tide washed all these starfish up here. And when the sun comes up, they'll bake in the sun and die. I'm trying to throw them back into the ocean. And the man said to him, but son, there's thousands of starfish along this beach. What difference do you think you're going to make? And the boy picked up a starfish and he threw it in the ocean. And he said, it made a difference to that one. I think about feeding a hungry person. And yet there are thousands of hungry people around. Can I really make a difference? And in fact, the one person that I just fed is going to be hungry again in a few hours. Is there really any use to that? That's what I mean by this despair that's around us. The 
the emptiness that really seems to be in this world. How can we really help? You give somebody clothes, you, you try to help somebody out. I, I, I feel this despair, this, this <laughs> almost hopelessness. Can we really make a difference? And it seems so overwhelming. But the one that we do help, it makes a difference to them. That's what God calls us to do. That's who God calls us to be, the one who makes a difference. Maybe it's one time, one person, but it makes a difference. It'll make a difference to them, and it'll make a difference to us. Oh, this world is in a mess, and it will stay being in a mess until Jesus returns and restores all things. But in the meantime, our responsibility is to make a difference. It's to begin the process that Jesus will complete. That's what heaven will be. And we'll all get there one day. Until then, we'll keep on going. Until then, we'll carry on. No matter what, no matter all the things in our our world around us, there needs to be a difference, and we can make that difference. Will you stand with me? Let's have a word of prayer. Father, truly help us not to become weary of doing good, but in all things to know that you are at work in our world, that you are at work through us, and that you will truly make a difference in us and through us to this entire world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.